for the What is nothing? Now that's D. What in the fuck are we doing here? What is something? That's deep, bro. Hi, welcome to That's Deep, bro. I am your host, Christina P. Thank you for downloading this episode of That's Deep, bro. Uh, my guest today is Paul Gilmartin, a friend, and I'm going to fangirl out on him a little bit today, only because his podcast, Mental Illness Happy Hour, um, besides your mom's house, and this podcast is my favorite go-to to listen to, and I've mentioned it many times on this show as such a valuable resource and well, anyway, we're going to get to him in a moment, but before he shows up, um, I have one correction. I'm, do- I'm doing Houston at the Come and Take a Comedy Festival, but it looks like there's been a date mix-up. It is not November 18th, but November 19th. That is a Sunday night. So if you've got tickets to see that show, it is now on the 19th, and uh, I don't know. They're like, they're apologizing for some kind of mix-up. So Houston, apologies. Uh, look, I should be there on Sunday. Okay. And then January 12th, uh, the Ice House in Pasadena. I'm doing one night there. And then February 2nd and 3rd, Salt Lake City, Utah, Wise Guys Comedy Club. And then March 30th through 31st, Portland! (laughs) Portland, Oregon at Helium Comedy Club. All very exciting stuff. Check out my store, Christina P. Online. I sell shirts. Uh, I got a, a Mama Wolf shirt. I got a That's Deep Bro shirt. I got a, I got a Blessing in the Skies shirt. And I got a fully vaccinated shirt for all of you that are, you know, rational people. Okay. All right. Thank you so much uh, for my sponsors. Um, again, big episode. Paul is going to uh, be in here in a second. And we're going to get a super, super deep. I don't know. I feel like I might cry. Like I just, I've cried so many times listening to his show and having him here is going to be uh, pretty surreal for me. So, all right, here we go.
All right. Paul Gilmartin is here. Hi. Christ- Christina Pizitsky. <laughs> I so want uh, to hear Siri mangle your name. <laughs> um, as soon as we're done here, I'm... Uh, no. I'm putting that in there. Can I tell you, I, it's been a lifetime of a mangled name, and, and that's why I changed it to just the letter P. And you know what's funny? The minute I did that change, now everybody's insisting on saying Pajitsky. Whereas really? before, they were like, I can't say this. And now all of a sudden, everybody can say it. Because so, they're not supposed to. Yeah, there is some forbidden fruit. Mm-hmm. Enough about me. I'm so thrilled to have you here. and I'm, I'm happy to, to be here. I know you, you're going to be really uncomfortable <laughs> with me saying this, but I watch your Netflix special. Stop, stop. And right. it is one of the best specials I have ever seen. I never laugh oh. out loud watching comedy, and I was laughing out oh. loud, and uh, I was like, I got to fucking call her ass. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm flattered, um, and I think it's because we're both embracers of the dark side of the force and i i feel like i mean i've talked about your show the mental illness happy hour i maybe weekly on this podcast oh thank you because i think it's such um i'm gonna fucking cry and i knew i cried i've cried so many times listening to your interviews with people because you explore the dark side of the forest to make it brighter and not as terrifying for humans and i think that's like such a, a, a service to humanity. Like if they could give a fucking prize to you, like some <laughs> kind of humanitarian award, I, I just, I don't know. I, I, it means so much to me and I'm sure to the people who listen to it because you're so brave. It's so brave. How did you start fucking doing that? It, I, I don't feel brave. Um, I, I started doing it because I had experienced what I want the listeners to experience, which is feeling that all is not lost, mm. that the forced gym, gym membership of having a shitty childhood or an addiction <laughs> can actually help you build emotional muscles right. that benefit you in other areas of your life. So in many ways, um, it can be a blessing if you don't let it destroy you. And the thing that I discovered is that once you sense that you're a part of a community of people that mm. understand you, it's incredibly healing and it can be fun. And I thought, you know, I've, I've experienced this around addiction, but nothing really exists for it around other issues publicly. Right. right. And, and I thought, well, why don't I just take that template of two people sitting and having a raw, uncensored conversation, which podcasting is perfect for, and we'll just talk about that because my support groups, I laugh harder and cry harder than I do at my favorite movies. So I thought if I can create that in a podcast form, it'll be that, as cheesy as it sounds, that hand holding your hand that, that people want when we're, when they're in that place because they think they're alone and, and they're, and they're not. And sometimes that can be the thing that turns it around. And for me, that was when I walked into my first support group meeting and people were laughing and just having fun and hugging each other. I went, wow, there's something here. And that helped lift the shame. Uh, that helped me to start laughing and smiling and, uh, and it also gave me a place to be the person to welcome somebody else and see the light come on in their eye. And I mm-hmm. thought if I can do that with a podcast and make it 
in a way that isn't precious or academic. You right. know, I'm the cheerleader for people going and getting professional help. Mm-hmm. It's my podcast isn't the it's the waiting room. Right. You know, it's a waiting room where that we're telling great jokes or, you know, shoulder to cry on or whatever that guests kind of brings right. brings to it. And so sharing my stuff, my uh, the things that are hard to talk about in my life, I didn't do it because I thought this will be brave. I did it because I want to be seen. I want to be mm. understood. I want to stop feeling invisible and weird and um, and like my life has has that my life will be forgettable. One of my deepest fears is that my life that I will be forgettable. Oh, yeah. Right, right. Oh, my God. There's so much. uh, Yeah, you just said a million things that I'm like going (laughs) off on. Because I think for for me and why I I love your show so much and why I do this show too is the shame element and feeling like a space alien and growing up feeling like what you went through or your your whole thing, it's so quiet. Like, and especially if you grew up in a house um, of addiction, like you, you learn to keep secrets very quickly. You learn to cover, to cover, and Haha, I'm fine, everything's great. And that's the part that I struggled with for many years. It's still, and sometimes still do feel like a space alien. But when you find your tribe, like what you're saying, you find the tribe of others who have their stories, and then they they share it. And then you know what I love about your podcast too mm-hmm. uh, is that. You always like to point out that one person's suffering is like no greater or lesser than another's. And I think that's another, like I get emails constantly, like I know I shouldn't say, I shouldn't complain or I shouldn't feel this way because I'm not as traumatized. I didn't have this big thing happen. But I like that you always allow the person to have whatever feelings they're having. Yeah. Right? Because it's the feelings that get you caught up. It is. And, And for you to minimize what it is that, you're agonizing or feeling pain over you are building the biggest hurdle for you to jump over right i minimized the stuff that my mom did to me for 40 plus years and i didn't really start to to heal from it until i gave weight to it at 40 something years old and i don't want to see other people have to make that same mistake. You know, Viktor Frankl, who I know you uh, are familiar with, wrote this amazing book called Man's Search for Meaning, and he was a Holocaust survivor. And one of the things oh, yeah. that he said after um, he got out of the concentration camp is that he realized that worry is like a gas that will expand regardless of what the worry is about to fill the brain, whether Mm -hmm. it's that the plants in my garden are dying or I'm (laughs) going to be shot before lunch. Wow. He said, right, right. But why is that? What's the, what's the, I I don't know, but it's true. Yes. It's true. And, um, to, I think try to, to put that on a, on a list, uh, you know, rank that on a list, um, is, is not really the way to begin healing from it. Um, the the biggest step for me in dealing with that childhood stuff was saying, "What if I'm not a baby? I'm not an exaggerator. I'm right. not doing this for I'm attention. Not, I'm not a weak crybaby. Right. Yeah. yeah, let's just try that route. Yes, and see what happens. And that's when all the feelings came up. 
and wow. and I began to see reality for for what it was and set boundaries and practice um, advocating for myself. Mm. Um, yeah, and and I don't want to paint myself as a victim because uh, w- one of the things that I carry shame about is that I turned around and while I didn't do it to children, I did it to women. I objectified them. Um, I didn't realize I had so much anger at my mother and that the only way to feel safe around women was to feel more powerful than them, to objectify them, to sexualize them. Right. And I couldn't see that. And I can see it now. Um, and I'm not the person that I used to be, but one of the things I try to do with the podcast is to not paint people as good or evil, but mm-hmm. to talk about um, being conscious or unconscious, sick yes. or not sick, Right. Um, to, to try not to apply judgment to it. Right. Like levels of awareness. Yeah. And also you like to talk about tools, having the tools to deal yeah. with stuff. Okay, before we get into your story, because there are so many times I've listened to your podcast Mm -hmm. and you share bits and pieces and I just, I'm not, I, like I, I've pieced together things Mm -hmm. and I want to get the whole story because I think it's fascinating. Mm -hmm. I love to know. But before that, I think there's a few things I just wanted to ask and maybe clarify for the audience. Mm -hmm. So trauma, you've talked about trauma with a capital T and then the little T trauma. So what's the difference between those two? Uh, well, it's it's not something that uh, I uh, coined. It's something that uh, the mental health community realized that there was um, PTSD, uh, classic versions of it, the vet returning from war who'd, who'd seen a lot, and that would be considered uh, big T trauma. And then the person who was raised in a consistently invalidating or neglectful environment. Mm -hmm. That's traumatizing. That, however the message arrives that you don't really matter Mm. or the world is incredibly unsafe Mm -hmm. and you are on your own, it doesn't really matter what, or you're a terrible person, it doesn't really matter what envelope that arrives in, a big T or little t envelope. What matters is that you process that, talk about it, and see it for the lie um, that it is. That's not to say the world is completely safe, but there are safe people in it, and there is love in it. And it's about, for me, becoming conscious and distancing myself when I can from people who are unhealthy and surrounding myself with people who are healthy. Yes, um, so and that, that's the process of unfucking yourself and getting yeah. your life and unscrewing and, and, and getting your mind rewired and getting your mind right, because it's a real head job when you grow up <sighs> in either capital T or little t. And I just wanted you to explain that to listeners, because uh, going back to this idea that, you know, like the worry and is this is this worth worrying about? Is this worth being upset about? And so many times we minimize the stuff that is keeping you up at night and the stuff that's giving you anxiety and depression. And so I wanted you to say, because I, 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 you know, you guys talk about this on, you talk about this uh, with your guests. And I just, I, I love that distinction because the first time I heard that on your show, I went, oh, you're right. Because I, you know, I, in my culture, my family, it was always like, what are you talking about? You don't got a problem. 
I got a problem. I uh, escaped from Hungary. You know, there's a lot of that, like old school. And they did have a hard life. And I totally respect that. But that doesn't mean that you can't have your own stuff happen and in an invalidating, emotionally cold, whatever environment. And I love your show for the parenting stuff that I'm getting out of it, like being available emotionally versus you getting scared because your kid's freaking out. and like, I got to shut this down. I got to, you know, but anyways, okay. The the guest uh, whose episode I'm putting up uh, this Friday, uh, uh, we use a pseudonym for her. Her her name is, uh, the pseudonym is Mary M. And uh, she's, uh, African-American and left the United States for two reasons. One, because uh, of the racism and uh, two, because of uh, her parents. And mm. it's a classic example of a parent who wants to make their child safe and they make the mistake of focusing on molding their child into something that, that they are trying to avoid their child becoming right instead yes. of embracing what that child is right. passionate about and seeing them for who they are. Cl- classic. Yeah. <laughs> but I also feel like our parents, whatever generation, like self-help movement and this, this awareness didn't really happen until 1980 something, right? Like this idea that, Hey, wait a minute, you can't just tell someone to shut up and get out of here or whatever. Like right. that's not going to make them okay. So yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, you create what you defend against. Isn't that what Marianne Williamson says? Okay, so let's get into your life story, into your story. And I'm going to start the interview the way you start your interviews, which is... Where's a good place to start? Where's a good place to start? <laughs> yes. Uh, my dad had a boner and my mom was uh, across the bar. <laughs> Maybe that's too far oh! back. Maybe that's too far back. So a long courtship friend, <laughs> based on friendship and uh, mutual respect. And, <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. My mom uh, said to me, uh, I, I'd asked her how she and my dad met. And uh, she said, uh, oh, uh, we were at a bar after work and he walked by the table and I just thought he had the stupidest look on his face. He just looked like a dummy. <laughs> and she went, that's the future father yes. of my son. Yeah. That one. Yeah. That's the one I'm going to reproduce with. Yes. Unreal. And I wish I could say, uh, and I know that wow. they, for a, a period of time, they did fall in love, but I have never seen my parents. Well, my dad passed away in 06, but I never saw my parents be affectionate ever. Wow. Ever. My mom didn't show one ten thousandth of the affection to my father that she showed to me. Right. And a lot of it was um, really spousal and inappropriate for a child. Right, which is what tends to happen um, in, in, they say it happens with single parents. They will parentify the child. They will make the child a surrogate spouse. And so your parents, now did you have siblings? I had a brother um, and he, he was adopted and I don't know if that factored into my mom uh, treating me as the golden child oh, or not, boy. Right. Um, but he, they locked horns very early on. And I think it, while it was painful for him as a child to feel like the scapegoat, um, I think it served him later in life uh, in his relationship with her really? because he hadn't become enmeshed with her. Right. So that he could, 
you know, by the time he was five, I think he kind of saw what the deal, what the deal was. Oh, I'm the, I'm the scapegoat and you're, and my brother here is all good and I'm all bad. Now, was your mom mentally ill as well? I believe so. I believe so. She's still alive. Yeah, she's still alive. Uh, She, you know, I don't, I don't want to try to, to diagnose her, but there's definitely narcissism there. You know, there's some traits, um, of borderline personality uh, disorder, but I don't know what it is. And, and honestly, whatever it is, it, it, it's not as important as saying, do I want this in my life? Do I want You're to keep right. putting up with this? Is it, is the, uh, the positive aspects of my relationship with her worth the negative aspects of it? <laughs> and once I asked myself that, because I stopped listening to, her words, and I looked at her actions. Ooh, and that powerful was distinction, my man. Hugely powerful distinction because she always lavishes praise on me. Oh, um, it's such a mind fuck, right? It's a total mind fuck. And, and I'm tr- I'm, I don't want to paint her um, as an evil or malicious person because she's, she's not. There were many things that I got from her that were great. You know, she was one of the few people um, in a fairly racist uh, neighborhood to uh, kind of be a voice of that's wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, where you were you raised? South suburbs of Chicago. Okay. Um, she, you know, we were having um, uh, exchange students from, from Nigeria staying with us for Christmas. Wow. I mean, things that were like unheard of in my neighborhood. So early on, uh, I was made aware that as a suburban white guy, um, I had privileges right. that the rest of the world didn't necessarily have. So things like that, that, that I got from her, um, she always encouraged me to do something that I love for a living. Wow, that's cool. Really cool. That doesn't happen very frequently with parents. Usually no. it's the fear route of like, here's what you can be. Yes. Doctor, lawyer, accountant, go. Yes. <laughs> Enjoy they, your life. They said the only thing, <laughs> please don't go into is advertising. Because <laughs> they had a friend who was in advertising who was right. miserable. Oh, yeah. It's got to be. And and they were certainly right about, about that. Uh, so that's one of the things that makes cutting contact with a parent mm. so painful is because it's never black and white. No. That's interesting. So, uh, yes, because I think a lot of people listening to this show uh, will have the same debate of like, especially with these holidays coming up. Oh, I mean, my God. Right. This is ground zero of like cutting contact or sucking it up and watching Uncle, you know, Steve or Rick or whoever get hammered and berate me. Like, what am I going to do this year? Um Right. So cutting. Okay. Let's, let's get that. I don't want to be berated, but the stuffing is delicious. (laughs) It's free food. So where was your father growing up? Was he in the house? Was, did he take off? He was a high functioning alcoholic who was just checked out and in his head at the end of the couch. He, uh, he was raised by a very successful, but verbally abusive, um, alcoholic father. Sure. Um, if, here's a snapshot of, of my grandfather. I was going to say, give me some snapshots. Yeah. That's question number two. Yes. Go ahead. A snapshot of my grandfather who I never really got to know, but um, he told one of my dad's sisters, uh, that boy that you have a crush on, 
um, has a crush on you and he is going to come pick you up uh, for the dance on Friday. Oh boy. She gets all dressed up and the guy's not showing up and he says, you didn't really think he liked you, did you? (gasps) And then he laughed. Wow, that is evil. But that is, that is, I mean, look, there's like shitty abusive, there's annoying parent, and then there's downright sadistic. Yeah. Yeah. So my dad uh, was really stuck in his head. He is probably the most responsible or was the most responsible alcoholic that I think I've ever met. He set my mom up financially so that I or my brother never had to uh, worry about taking care of her, and I'm very grateful for that because uh, that might have made uh, cutting contact with her really, really complicated. That's the hard part because when I cut contact with my mentally ill mom, um, the one saving grace is that she had enough money oh. to care for her, to have the, someone else you do the so care. You are so lucky. So lucky. <laughs> your childhood is honestly one of the worst childhoods really? I've, I've, I've heard. Really? Oh, yeah. Wow, that's... I'm almost like flattered. And I listen. And I don't know. There was that European lady whose mother sold her to the Illuminati and she the, was, they put cockroaches on her. I don't know if it was that lady, the, that uh, was bad. That where, was bad. Where she was, uh, <laughs> yeah, the European pedophile ring. Stop it. Like I couldn't even get through. I just started crying in my car for her. Yeah. But anyway. Annika, I, Annika Lucas is, is yes, her name. It's holy. an amazing, amazing episode. I got to go back to it and finish it because I got to know if she's okay, but. She is okay. She teaches yoga in prisons. Oh, right. That's right. Right. Okay. Yeah. She's a very conscious person. She's awesome. And that's the thing you find with these people that have been through horrific stuff is they end up being like the coolest, most... Like you, when you interview people... See how bad I am at this? Because I'm just so excited that you're here. When you interview people and you are so empathetic and you listen to them, you ask questions that I would not even... Like, what did he hear? Like, it's like you're the... You're like the the dysfunction whisperer. You hear hear shit that we don't fucking hear. I'm like, man, you're good. You know, I think some of that was a byproduct of becoming my mom's therapist when I was seven seven years old. Oh, let's talk about that. So, so dad's checked out. Dad's checked out. He's an alcoholic. So that's, that's enough for a kid to deal with, I think is one alcoholic parent. And as you know, that affects the whole family dynamic. So now there's codependent mom, was she, you know, covering the tracks, enabling, smiling, smile. Everything's great. Was Everything's she, great. Was she, is she attractive? Your mother? My mom was an attractive uh, yeah. woman. Yeah, I look back at pictures of her, and I was like, "Wow, my mom's uh, a looker." <laughs> <laughs> okay. uh, so I kind of became uh, the the person for her to, to have her emotional needs met. Um, one of my earliest. Memories of my relationship with her is being probably seven or eight years old and her breaking down and crying about how unhappy she is in her marriage and how tired she is of all of us selfish bastards and me consoling her and telling her that we're going to be better. And I didn't know that that was wrong. Right. And so I think from that moment on, my spidey sense of what somebody else might be thinking or feeling started to develop. Mm-hmm. And in grade school, I kind of, this is before I started uh, getting into drugs. 
I was a pretty empathetic kid. Um, I would have, like the kid that was getting picked on by everybody, um, I would invite him over to my house just Mm. to see if I could uh, befriend him. Uh, Turns out I couldn't. I was like, this this guy's fucking annoying. Now I know everybody hates him. (laughs) Your mom's right, kid. You suck. (laughs) But I, I felt like I was friends with with um everybody or at the very least help them feel seen and and validated um you know once i started once high school uh once i got in high school and and started escaping into weed and alcohol um coupled with feeling sexually frustrated that part of me went away and i became kind of bitter and sarcastic what age is this sorry uh, probably 14, that's, but that's, 15. that's the magic age of, uh, something's wrong from childhood and you're either going to do drugs or try to kill yourself, uh, or both or run away. Are you going to stay? You know what I mean? Like that's the kind of the magic number for freak out from when you had a shitty childhood stuff. So your mom's shrink. You're the golden child. Your brother is... Uh, kind of kinda, the the, the scapegoat. You know, I don't want to try to to put into words necessarily his story because um, I'm sure he could say it better. But um, uh, he he and my mom do not get along. But they're both kind of traditional people, so um, they are in each other's lives. But they lock horns okay. um, all the all the time. But my brother does validate my experience. Oh, that's nice. And that's really nice. That's very rare. And I think that's something that we need to say here is that oftentimes uh, two people can grow up in the same house and have extremely different experiences of what their childhoods were like, like vastly different. And a lot of times when you are the one in the family pointing out dysfunction, don't expect other people to get on board. A lot of times they're so in it that you become the bad person. Yes. How what an asshole you are! How dare you? They gave you so much, and this and that, and the guilt uh, that comes with kind of getting out of that stuff, getting yeah. out of the. I call it the upside down. Like I don't know if you've watched <laughs> Stranger Things, but it's like being in the upside down, where like things look familiar, but something's wrong. It's it's yeah. dark in here. It's toxic. These things are gonna. The air will fucking kill me if I stay yeah. here. I mean, if you think about it, when you build all your coping mechanisms to survive in that family Ugh. on lies and shame, uh, when somebody tries to come and pull that foundation away mm. of this house of cards, mm-hmm. you, you want to stick to what you know because mm. an unknown that is that big, mm. which is what I told myself when I began to experience her... Um, uh, I, I always... When I use the phrase sexually abuse me, uh, there's a part of my brain that always rolls its eyes and goes... It wasn't sexual abuse. Why You're such that? a. But why? Why? Because I feel like I'm doing a disservice to people whose sexual abuse was overt, right? Um, and and there's a part of me that that feels when I talk about it that I'm a baby, I'm an exaggerator, course, I'm doing it for attention. And she's going to be mad if she hears this, right? Yeah, she did hear it. Oh, and? She did hear it. How's that going? Uh, she was very <laughs> she was very upset. Uh, she yeah. left a, a message. Mm. Um, I had friends of hers uh, contact me and, 
you know, say, please, please have contact uh, with her. She's, she's suffering. She's your mother. And one of the women that, that uh, sent me that uh, Facebook message, I messaged her back and I said, you worked in a hospital for a, co- a couple of decades. Um, what would you think if one of your nurses was taking uh, a child's temperature uh, rectally uh, when they're eight years old? Um, would you be okay with that? Would you be okay with somebody doing that to your child? And she didn't, she didn't answer me. Um, and it's not that – if that was the only event, I could say, okay, you know, maybe she didn't know, but she didn't do it to my brother. Oh, um, right. And, you know, I to get it to stop, I had to ask, why are we still doing it this way? Right. Um, her, her demeanor would change when she would do it. Um, the, she would disappear with the thermometer afterwards for a <sighs> long time. Um, maybe... Uh, I, I don't. I don't know what the truth is. That there's no other question that I would love an answer to more than what was her intent. Yeah. What was she? I honestly think that she was kind of in a fugue state. You know, hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if if there if if there is some type of dissociation involved. Hmm. Uh, one of the things that I've heard so many times from from people describing their childhoods is their parent will when their parent is raging or some other type of abusive mode it's almost like that that parent is in a blackout wow and i wonder if that was the case with with my mom but ultimately for me to heal it doesn't matter what her intent was what matters right. is for me to go through the period of grief and mm-hmm. sadness and anger and all that other stuff. Cause there's no healing without that. Mm-hmm. It, what that person's intent is and whether or not something is prosecutable is not the primary concern in the beginning of well, healing. That's the codependent thing of like, well, what is she doing? What, what's her thing? Mm-hmm. That's the, that's the thing that's the codependent reaction it's that we total. have of like, but what about her feelings? What about the abuser's feelings? And shouldn't I be worried that they're going to be mad because I'm talking or blah, 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 blah. It's like, it doesn't matter. And it doesn't matter. You both can have your side of a story. Yes. There's two truths happening simultaneously. Yeah. And who's ever going to know what her, she may not even know what her I don't uh, think she does. Stuff is. Yeah. I don't think she does. And she had a terrible childhood, Yeah, terrible childhood. And I, I have love for her and I have empathy for her. I, I, um, I can see that, that wounded little girl inside of her. Um, but it's kind of like a dog that bites. Yes. I can feel sad for that dog that bites, but for me to keep trying to interact with it is not, it's, you know, I had an epiphany a couple of years ago that it's important to have compassion for others, but never at the expense of compassion for yourself. And that's Damn. the place that I had to arrive at is that she's not a bad person. Our realities don't overlap. That's there isn't correct. enough shared reality to justify a relationship with her. Dude, that is brilliant. 
And I think that sums up exactly. There's not enough shared reality. She's got her world. You've right. got your world. It's not that anyone's world. No, actually, probably what she did, I would consider evil too. I don't, I don't think um, sexual abuse to a child or abuse is whatever cool. But, um, but yeah. You it's don't... really hip now. <laughs> Have you heard? Yeah. I didn't know they changed that. Oh, yeah. Baristas with the handlebar mustaches. <laughs> Underneath the bar, they're touching kids. <laughs> it's, t- it's rad. He can order it. Yeah. Um, they're yeah. single speed bicycles. Yeah, they, yeah, they ride yeah. to uh, pedophile houses. I love it. Yeah. Uh, you know what's interesting is that Phyllis Diller, my hero, wrote a book about her life. And um, she had like four or five children. And one of them refused to speak to her. And she, when she became really rich and famous, she pulled up to this kid's house, who was now an adult. And he was watering his front lawn. And he saw her and he just started hosing her down. Now, I, you know, who knows how she was as a mother? She's got her side of how she was and I'm sure they have theirs. But the way she phrased it, she goes, you know what? His wires were always crossed. He just had crossed wires. And I, I, I thought, well, that's interesting. That's a really neat way of putting it. But some people's wires are just crossed. Yeah. And it's not, it's not a good, bad, there's no judgment on it. It's just nature, dude. It's just nature. And I, it's interesting you say your, your mother is like a dog that bites people. I always envision my mother like a porcupine. And they're cute to look at. And then when you went to hug it, it would, ow, fuck, ow, that's the, fuck. Uh, that's the other right. one is my mom is a cactus that wants a hug. <laughs> right. It's That's so funny. Right. We both, it, yes, ouch. And, and at a certain point. Ugh. You got to take care of yourself. And one of the biggest lies that destroys the fabric of our society is that you stick by blood no matter what. I agree. Why? What if the blood is evil? What if the blood is abusive? What if they're criminals, uh, molesters, assholes? I mean, why? Why? I agree. You can have empathy for them. You know, it doesn't mean you have to demonize them. Cutting contact with somebody is not demonizing them. No. You're not demonizing the dog that's biting you. You're just not going in that yard anymore. Right. Right. You're, stop, you're, you're, you're not letting yourself get bit. You're not letting yourself get the poison. Yeah. Don't even go there, man. And it, it is, in my opinion, impossible to develop healthy relationships while still allowing toxic people in your life. Preach it, man. Preach. Impossible. Man, you need your own daytime show. Fuck Oprah. <laughs> Fuck what you heard, Oprah. We need Paul Gilmartin to have his fucking talk show. I'm serious, man. People need to hear this stuff. And I feel like to really get my, my head around all this stuff, it took a good decade of therapy of like, of oh, shit, that's what's ha- Oh, what? And all these dots. I don't know. Okay, so. An, it, it is God a, a mountain of lies. Yeah. But once you begin to pull, it's like Jenga. Once you begin to pull some of the lies out, the other lies come tumbling, tumbling down. And a big thing for me was seeing the patterns Mm. because I could always explain away a single thing Mm -hmm. that she did. And that's what I always did. But when I began to put a lot of them together, like her um, chiding me for wanting to cover up when I would be naked or in my underwear telling me, you know, oh, I'm your mom. It's nothing I haven't seen before. Um, And at what age did that start at? 
Uh, I don't remember when it started, but I remember it going until I was probably in... Um, Sorry, that's what I meant. Eight, like, yeah. But when, when did you become aware that that was ooky and not... Um, right? Probably around maybe eighth grade, yeah. something like that. Um, there was a, a, a time in um, where I was just kind of uh, before puberty and I had... Uh, fallen in some gravel and I had some gravel in my leg and she said well let's get you in the bathtub and my first reaction was Ugh, I'm too old for that right you know I thought it right. to myself right and then I thought oh I'll wear a bathing suit and then I imagined the conversation in my head which would be um well I'm your mom it's it, I saw it before you did and so I didn't. As I'm in the bathtub waiting for her to come in, I became aroused. And during the bath, I had an erection and I was like, oh my God, please go down. Please go down. And nothing was said uh, between us. She didn't, she's never touched my genitals. Um, she's never, um, it, I had such shame. Mm. from that i thought you are a fucking monster mm-hmm. you know who gets a an erection from their mom giving them a bath well i came to find out as i began doing the show lots of people right people have orgasms when they're being sexually abused you know uh, your your body and your soul can experience two different things at the same time and my soul was crying i feel tricked many times my soul was crying, I feel tricked. When the thermometer thing would happen, I remember thinking, I feel like my mom is tricking me. And then I would push that out of my head. And one of the things I realized doing the show is that's what a lot of survivors do because that is easier to say, I'm making too big of a deal or I deserved it because I got aroused. That is an easier thing to accept than the fact that I mean nothing and the world is unsafe. You know, it was easier for me to say, um, I'm, it's my problem. It's not my mom. That was easier than saying, I'm in the care of somebody who is unsafe for another 10 years. Right, because children have to make themselves the bad one. Yeah. Otherwise, their whole world crumbles because you depend on this adult to care for your all your needs. Your your entire existence is dependent upon her, not your dad, too, by the way. Dad's gone for dad you. Dad is checked out. So now it's just mom, and this is the one adult that I have to look to, and she's doing these things to me that I feel guilty, shameful about, because the body's going to respond. Like yeah. you just said, the body responds. It's not That's not your fault, but that feeling... Gosh, I was listening to the... the the guy in the Hasidic Jewish community who was molested mm-hmm. by a rabbi. And he talks about how later it's linked to his participating in BDSM and mm-hmm. this and that. And I mean, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't, I don't want to misquote him, but anyway, the fact that it's maybe not entirely horrible as it's happening. Is that accurate? I've never. Yeah. There can be mixed uh, emotions for him. It, it opened up uh, something in him that, and I had a, I, I really struggled to try to understand exactly what he meant because the one I thing I did, did not want to do is for people to interpret that this is a green light to go hurt kids. 
what he was saying was it it opened a door for him that he is able to enjoy a part of his sexuality that had been awakened by this horrible event because this guy would um, uh, beat him when he was sexually abusing him. And he said that it essentially his soul was crying out, but there was something electric in it for his body. Right. Um, so when he became an adult, it's he had already kind of done some of the sexual discovery that people might not do right. until later in life. But, you know, that being said, he said, uh, still, you know, I want to kill the guy. Yes. For what. Yes. He did to me. So it's complicated, though, is what it's that really those complicated. events. It's and especially in a culture where, like you said, the blood is important. How dare you not uh, honor your mother and father? There's a lot of that cultural stuff. Uh, uh, yeah, that's especially with mom. Mom is the sacred. And, and it's so rare that you hear about mothers uh, with the covert incest. Uh, very I started a, pri- a private Facebook group for people who've experienced what I experienced. And, you know, every couple of weeks, I get a new person emailing me and, and saying, here's what happened to me. What do you think of this? And it'll mm-hmm. be like, oh my God, it's, it is. So I, one of the things I want to do is, is write a book uh, about mm. this because it's, I feel like it's one of the last dark corners of uh, our society that, so many myths still revolve around. Like, mm. do you ever look at the comment section when, um, like, a thirty-five-year-old teacher um, seduces a fourteen-year-old right. boy? It's practically high fives. It is from mostly from men. Right. I've yet to see a high five from a woman right. uh, in the comment right. section. Right, and it makes me so fucking angry. Uh, but then I remember when I was twenty-five years old. I probably would have been one of those people because I was unconscious. I, it was all about the physical because my soul was so shut down. So what happened? So let's, so let's talk about that. So that's the second part to the trauma. So you have this stuff happen to you when you're a child. And I'm guessing, did you have anybody you could talk to, any adults that were sane and mirroring? You? No. no. Okay. No. So then it turns into... It turns into self-loathing. I imagine, don't you turn it inward? I'm a piece of shit. I must be bad. I'm doing this. I'm bringing this on me. Can't be mom, right? It's all on me. I'm a bad kid. And then adolescence rolls around, and that starts, oh, now the world is suddenly getting bigger, and there's now the idea that I can get the fuck out of my house. Maybe I can get on a bus. Maybe I can, you know, and... um, There there was an event that I think was pretty important uh, and I believe it happened shortly after the, the bathtub incident. Another mom was over at the house, and uh, she and my mom were downstairs talking in the family room. And I was upstairs, and something came over me. It, it, it was like the, the most intense surge of adrenaline uh, I've ever experienced. And, and arousal, intense, intense arousal. And I... It was almost like I was watching myself. I took all of my clothes off and I crept down the stairs and I spied on them. Hmm. And it, it was, my heart was pounding. 
Um, it, it was a, a mixture of euphoria, horror, self-disgust, confusion, and, and the other mom saw that I was spying on them. Mm. She didn't see that I was naked, I don't think. <laughs> and she said, you know, it's not polite to eavesdrop. But in that moment, I thought, oh, my God, they know. She right. knows right. what I'm doing. And I ran back upstairs, and, and I felt just like the worst person in the world, sick to my stomach at, at what I had done. And I remember that night going out to dinner with my family at my favorite restaurant, and I couldn't even eat because I was so sickened mm. by what I had done and who I thought that made me. And I look now back at that event, and you know, I can see that that was my primitive way of trying to take back what had been done to me, mm-hmm. to be the person to initiate. You want to see me naked? Mm-hmm. I'm going to be the one to choose. And that power, I think, is what um, made me feel so aroused. And it's something that I then had to to battle in in my life, that feeling of wanting to be an object to a woman mm-hmm. and wanting her to be an object to me because that was the only chance for me to feel safe. Because if I opened so up crazy. Yeah. and said, yes, I'm yes. scared, here's a need I have, I don't like the way you said that to me, that you might become o- emotionally overwhelming yes. and I'll be back being that seven-year-old kid comforting somebody who's losing their shit. Right. Now explain this mechanism to people slow. Let's slow this down because that's a lot. That is a lot. And that's exactly what happened. So you become abused mm. and now you are wanting to exert your power. Yeah, through objectification. Through objectification because that's how you were abused, right? Yeah. And so... And wanting to be seen. That was my primitive way oh, of wanting I to see. be seen. Okay. Um, and it's left me with, uh, you know, one of my fantasies is a, a, a woman you know, watching me while I while I jerk off. And I don't have any uh, shame about that. I will incorporate well, that. it's a fantasy. In, yeah. it's, it's like, it's a thought. It's a feeling. Right. It's, a far, it's a brain fart. It's right. not a, yeah. there's no judgment. Right. right. And I incorporate it, uh, you know, into relationships with consenting adults and it's fine. But I also, in my regular life, make sure that I'm seen emotionally. Right. Um, because that's what really, what I was, what I was looking for was, I want you to see me and maybe maybe two things fed into that. Number one, when you're sexualized at an early age, uh, something is opened up inside you um, that you discover you can use to soothe yourself. So for me, it was sexual fantasy, getting girls, uh, you know, uh, on the block when I'm as, as early as I can remember, six, seven years old, obsessed mm-hmm. with getting girls to pull their pants down to show me yours, you know, I'll, I'll show you mine. And, uh, and the other thing is, um, and my, my brain just went to screensaver. Um, <laughs> I was talking about, you're talking about, see, my brain goes into screens. Oh, wanting to soothe yourself. Right. Right. Um, Cause you use it. You, those things that were done to you, you also figure out ways to, yeah. You get, I forget. I forget fuck. what the other thing was. Oh yeah. man! Okay, you objectify women. Uh, we don't like to have intimate connections with women because it opens up a portal to being seven years old. 
and you yes. are now your mom's therapist. You're the parentified yes. child. And some woman, once the floodgates open, you don't know how yes. emotional those women are going to be. God, they can overwhelm. I, I have it too. Hey, yes. I am... I read it, bro. Like yeah. I am so afraid of feelings and sometimes talking to other women. That's why my, my therapist is a woman because <laughs> it, it, I get so afraid of the, the feelings. I don't yeah. like those feelings. That you're going to need, that you're going to be a vampire <sighs> Yeah, and you're going to drain me Yeah, and, and that you're <laughs> going to manipulate me. And <sighs> if, if I'm still codependent and putting your happiness ahead of mine, I am going to have to leave myself open to being manipulated. Yeah. So it's better to shut down and avoid yeah. things. Oh, that was the thing that I wanted to to say is, so I would do one of two things. I would either soothe myself sexually through dissociating into sexual fantasy um, or just shutting down. And in recovery, one of the things that I've learned is for me to have any chance at intimacy, I have to be willing to be vulnerable but I have to understand who is safe to be vulnerable with. That's a huge one. Yeah, to be seen in a way that isn't, you know, um, using that primitive, that primitive tool. Yeah. Of, uh, and I've had fantasies of um, when I gave weight to the thing that happened to me. Um, and I want to share this for anybody who is out there struggling with shame about things they think about when they're jerking off or having sex or just thinking about it is not a reflection of your morality. Um, I know many feminists who, when they're uh, masturbating or having sex, the only thing they can come to is imagining being raped. And it doesn't mean that they want rape to happen. It, it is just there, there is this thing in a lot of people's sexuality where the thing that gets them off the most is the very thing that brings them the most anxiety. And why is that? That's fascinating. I don't know. There's a book about it called, uh, it's by a guy named Jack Morin. And fuck, I forget the name of it. His last name is spelled M-O-R-I-N. Um, but it's just about that. And one of the things that I wanted to share was my brain so obviously did this when... I began to give weight to what had happened to me and began calling what happened to me sexual abuse. All this pain and grief came up. And of course, my go-to was, I need to sexually soothe this. Mm -hmm. And so I would jerk off, imagining me tricking my mom into watching me jerk off. And it was mm -hmm. the most powerful feeling. And it lasted maybe a couple of years. And it's not something that um, I even really do or think about today, but I'd been in enough recovery then to not judge myself for it, mm -hmm. to go, oh, this is my way of, of soothing myself. Um, um, you know, as long as I'm not doing it compulsively, um, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna do it. And it was a phase that I went through and I'm so grateful that I didn't judge myself for that. And Anybody out there, um, the most important thing is just processing their feelings. And if that fantasy never goes away, that's okay. You can explore it with a consenting adult. You can role play. You know, you can do all kinds of stuff. Well, wouldn't you say the fantasy also helps you claim 
power or to so. process. I, it, and I imagine if you share this with your shrink, they would be like, well, this is actually really positive. Because, That's what they said. Yeah. Maybe you're exploring the idea of being power, more powerful than your mom. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what the, No, that's what exactly the what they, yeah. they said. And it's a chance for you to let the shame go. Right. Because once you, you have the fantasy now, it's not being done to you. Exactly. Oh, that's fascinating. Isn't that, isn't it yeah. amazing how our brains... Amazing. <sighs> I'm and, like... And I would laugh God, about it. That yeah. felt really <laughs> freeing to go, I'm walking to the bathroom right now. I'm about to jerk <laughs> off thinking about my mom. And yeah. it to not have shame about that today is incredibly freeing and it's it's a really high form of self-love yeah well it's it's also to not have uh the self-flagellation that goes with that like man you're through doors of perception that i'm not even like i'm not even knocked on that door dude like you're you're light years your varsity level therapy dude that's awesome like that's amazing that you can and that's the other part is being able to look at these thoughts and feelings and fantasies and stuff but from an objective observer and also be able to go, oh, that's interesting. What's going on there? I think you meditation know? helped me with that. Yeah. To be the observer and reading Eckhart Tolle, his yeah. book, A New Earth. That yeah. really helped me to um, stop judging the way my brain worked. That's a big one is the judging. You have the feeling, you have the impulse, you have the whatever. And then the judgment comes in and tells you what a rotten piece of shit you are exactly. and see, you're right. You're right. Your mom was right. Yes. You are a piece of shit. How yeah. dare you? You're yeah. terrible. You're a bad boy. This and that and this and that. And, and when it gives you a trophy for being a piece of shit, that's when it's really oh, uncomfortable. Yeah. It is just always a big gold turd. Man. God damn. And I'm running out of, uh, uh, trophy case room for my piece of shit trophies <laughs> right it doesn't feel good but it feels familiar exactly yeah and and i yeah. think when we're damaged and in that unhealed place where trust is so difficult we prefer the kind of awful familiar to the unknown mm-hmm the promised unknown by somebody that it will get better. You just have to do these things that are 180 degrees from what you've been doing, opening up, making a phone call, going to a support group, crying, giving weight to what happened to you, cutting somebody out of your life, whatever it is that your personal kind of path requires. Um, that's, that's, it's hard. It is it's hard. It's fucking hard. That's the hardest part I've found for myself and for anybody who is like, I don't know, I, and I, this doesn't feel good, but at least I know what to expect. Because yeah. the unknown is so terrifying to humans. That's like the one thing that you're always guarding against, if I can just control. And especially if you were raised in an alcoholic home or whatever mental... Uh, whatever abuse, um, control is a big deal. Oh my God. To yes. people like us. Uh, you want to control everything all the time and, and at least you can control what sucks. Like mm-hmm. you, you know what to expect from the thing that is terrible. Whereas this new world of not isolating, like you said, making the phone call, going to a group, going to your therapist, talking about feelings, feeling feelings, all that shit. You weren't taught to do that. Yeah. Um, Uh, I think when you're surviving uh, as a child, you uh, really depend on your crystal ball to to feel safe. And it takes you out of the present moment. Um, 
and most of the time we're, we're wrong. We might have been accurate about that parent who was alcoholic and had patterns, but when then you bring it into your career, mm. you know, your relationship, yeah. <laughs> and then you base your actions on this warped crystal ball. Right. It's, I mean, how often have you accurately predicted five or 10 years ago where you would be, what you would be experiencing today? Never. Right. For me, never. Right, right, right. Right. Not even a month right. <laughs> ago would I be able to predict. Right. But what you're saying is you have the glasses on from the past and they're skewing how you're seeing what's happening today because the wires are still... Yeah. You, you need to create new patterns and new ways for your brain to work. The yeah. healthier stuff, the yeah. healthier ways and stuff. Yeah, the, you know, the crystal ball served you as a kid. You knew to go to your bedroom when dad came home drunk and he yep. sounded angry. You knew that you don't say this around your mom or that when that lady that annoys her is going to come over, that you are going to, you know, uh, have to hear her go on a tirade about how, what a bitch that, you know, that oh, lady My mom is. did that all the time. I oh, had to yeah. hear what a piece of shit everybody was. All the time. Being a captive audience for their (laughs) egocentric monologues about the way the the world has... Oh, my God. My mother had a friend once that asked her to give her a ride to the airport, and my mother acted like it was the most absurd (laughs) thing. Who the fuck does she think I am? A taxi cab service? (laughs) Fuck you. You take yourself to the airport. I'm not your husband. I was like... Dude, she just wants a ride to LAX, bro. Like, friends do that. <laughs> friends do that. That's totally acceptable. Uh, just the absurdity of those two things. And then you think that's how people are in the world. Like, that that's the hardest. Is, last, last, damn it. Last week's episode uh, was with a guy named Sam Harriman. And his mom was kind of in that mold. And she so resented... Um, kids wanting to drink her kid's water bottle on the in the little league dugout that she gave him one uh-huh. with water to hide to drink uh-huh. himself and then to put another one on the bench with white vinegar to teach them a lesson wow that sounds like something my mother would have done a hundred percent yeah a hundred percent would have done that yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, a lot of times, those of us that have grown up in these environments, you can go two routes. You can become hyper vigilant or hyper irresponsible. Where did you go? I decided to do both. Oh, yeah. cool. Talk yeah. about that. They're I didn't know mutu- that was an option. They're not mutually exclusive. <laughs> I didn't know. I, I have a terrifying fear of um, having too much responsibility. Uh-huh. in my life. And it makes me shut down. It makes me want to go take a nap. It can be the smallest thing. If I'm going to uh, into the garage to, to build something, um, the fear that I'm going to make a mistake and waste a nice piece of wood um, right. Right. I, I, is I'll, I'll sit there and I'll feel frozen and I'll get so much anxiety and dread that I'll just have to go uh, lay down and take a nap and I won't do <laughs> For, anything. Forget the whole endeavor. It's yeah. too overwhelming. Yeah. yeah. And, and, yeah. and I think at the heart of that is perfectionism. Uh, absolutely. You know, which if you're raised in an unsafe home, like your crystal ball, if you could be perfect, you could make things a little safe. Well, it's, it's not the, you know, one of the the things that this brilliant guy, Dr. Alan Rappaport wrote about uh, this article called, called co-narcissism. You can Google it. It's a, there's a PDF of it as he says, children of narcissists um, grow up believing that the world will treat them the way their parents treated them. <laughs> and while there may be other people in the world yeah. that are like that, you have some self-advocacy as an adult. You are not 
trapped. You can speak up for yourself. And that's a hard thing to remember. But if you don't deal with that codependency and mm-hmm. you're more concerned with somebody else's feelings, you are going to be trapped. You're allowing yourself to be trapped. It's all, it's what it's the familiar it's the and familiar. you're used to catering to somebody else's needs, thoughts, wishes, yeah. blah, 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 blah. And the self never gets tended to. Okay. Like I had to learn about self-care. <laughs> I know you know that phrase. Um, things like exercise, proper diet, uh, resting when I needed to rest, taking vacations, enjoying things. I have a hard time. Enjoy- I still don't know if I enjoy a lot of stuff, but, uh, you know, like doing just regular maintenance, yeah. like self-maintenance. And, and that's a huge thing that codependents get into. Oh my God. I, and I think for me, the most important tool in dealing with that has been learning how to have difficult conversations. Oh, I hate them. You mean, the you mean when we talk about feelings and like, oh, the Say, anxiety. I yeah, or I, I, I don't like uh, the way you're treating me yeah. or the, the way that you did this uh, you know, thing um, is really unacceptable. Or I, uh, I, I, one of the things I'm most proud of in myself is I have learned how to tell people that they are hogging conversations. Oh, <gasps> You can do that? Yes. Uh, There's been a couple of people from my support groups that remind me of my mom in terms of uh, how much they talk. And I don't take it personally. Yeah. Uh, But what I did was I listened to my body, which I was Mm. starting to feel rage. And I said, okay, what, what is this coming from? And I thought, I feel like a captive audience member. Will I, do I deserve to not feel like a captive audience member? Yes, I do. Okay, then what are my options? I can hang up. Or if this is somebody that um, I want to try to have a friendship with, I can diplomatically talk about what I'm feeling. Okay, well, then how would I do that? And so the thing that I came up with was saying, hey, man, listen, um, I, I care about you. Um, uh, I want to be friends with you. But there's this feeling uh, that I get when we talk on the phone that I'm just kind of an audience member yeah. and it's really one-sided and I don't want to feel resentful at mm-hmm. you. And I don't want to hurt your feelings, but I'm kind of stuck in this place where I'm dreading getting phone calls from you. Yeah, and both people I've said that to have thanked me. And had you been able to work it out? Like, will they when when you speak to them on the phone again? Were yeah. they more give and takey? More give and takey. But the most in, important thing is, I now don't feel guilty if they go back to doing it and I don't return their phone call or I cut the phone call short. <laughs> I love because it. I've given them the information. That's yeah. all I can do. Yeah. The old me would have would have either completely avoided it or tried to change them. And both yes. of those don't work. That's the key to it. Avoidance or trying to just work around it. Maybe if I just keep doing it, maybe if I do something different this time, and maybe if I'm just better, maybe if I'm better, it's exhausting. Yeah. Thinking that you're a bad person because you're having a need, a need to, (laughs) to not be an audience member. And, and, you know, and there's a fine line because when somebody's really going through some shit, you may need to be an audience member for a half hour while they do that. But when it's that over and over again about the just daily life, um, I, I, I speak up for myself. I take care of myself. Uh, if I have somebody in my life that's long winded, I return their phone call on the way 
somewhere so that <laughs> yeah. I say, okay, you know, I'm oh just getting God. to this. So it's about, it's about tools and... I've uh, done that too, by the way. And then I get sabotaged and I'll sit in the driveway for a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Still listening. Uh-huh. And then what did she say? Really? Yeah. Oh, God. Well, I'm in the driveway now. Uh, yeah. And, and I don't think you Ugh. can have a romantic, Ugh. committed relationship without being willing to have difficult conversations. The key is how do you have them in a loving, diplomatic yes. way? And when is the right time? Or marry a stand-up comedian and then you don't have to be diplomatic. You just say horrible shit to each other. <laughs> and you, it's couched in a joke, but you both get what's happening. Hey, if, yeah. if, if, the, oh. if it's being communicated... yes. That's what that's yeah. what's the most important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you're right. Uh, that is extremely difficult, especially when really you're hard. yeah when you're raised to not have needs, and yes. that's that is the problem with growing up in capital T or little T trauma. Being shamed for having needs. Oh my god. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. All the time. And, and, and then to become an adult and then have them in a marriage. Yeah, it's very difficult. It's really difficult. <sighs> and, and and to be comfortable with maybe agreeing to disagree about something. Yeah, yeah, that too. That's so true, yes. And being able to just kind of let it go and yeah. just know that that's, that's fine. I've had to not let, personalize let, it too. And let them know that you love them. A yeah. lot of times, yeah. one of the best things to say when you have to have a difficult conversation with somebody is say... Um, I'm having a really hard time talking about this because um, I love you. You're a really important person in my life, but I've been feeling such and such lately, and I don't know how to express this. So here's kind of, can we talk about this? I'm feeling when this happens, I'm feeling this. Instead of saying, you know, you always do right. that, and it's so selfish of you, don't right. corner them. You cannot Nobody likes to be cornered. So right. express what you're feeling, and then you give them a chance to come to you because they're not cornered. That's a very interesting uh, distinction because they can't fault you for your feelings. Exactly. You can't. And if be, they do, yeah. fucking run because that is not somebody you want in your life. No, you're dealing with a narcissist yes. or a very malignant human. Yeah. When you when you convey the emotions of suffering, like, hey, this hurts me. When you do this thing, behavior, whatever. I am deeply hurt. And then they continue to do that thing. Get the fuck out. That is yeah. somebody that will never take ownership of their thing or never. certainly not in the uh, foreseeable future. No, the, unless they had a lobotomy or yes, yeah. yeah, or, or hit some type of bottom and yeah. sought help in a deeply committed way. Right. Yeah. yeah that's not going to happen. Uh, so let's talk about getting out. Let's talk about uh, putting down those boundaries. Uh, you had this wonderful episode that I've recommended to people with a therapist uh, where she talks about codependency and boundary uh, setting. Dr. Natalie Feinblatt. Yes, I've listened to that episode about five or six times, not she, even exaggerating. She, yeah, she's awesome. But, the, but the, the information in that episode is is tremendous because it's, you know, it's funny because when you set down boundaries with people, uh, the whole no no communication thing, it's like when you break up with somebody and you're like, stop calling me. Like, you're really saying, keep calling me. Exactly. Let's keep doing this fucked up dance together. Mm -hmm. Like, when you really don't want someone, an ex-boyfriend to call you, you just don't fucking pick up the phone. Yeah. Like, you block the number. <laughs> you do whatever it is that you have control over. Right. Instead of wishing they would act differently. 
Right. Which is what you, this is coming back to the dog that's going to bite you. Maybe this time, maybe this time, maybe this time. Because I think we want to have both. We want to not be the quote unquote bad person. Right. But we also want them to not contact us. Oh, right. Well, you can't have both. That's right. Because most people, the reason you're cutting contact with them is because they, you don't have a, a shared reality. Right. So you're expecting somebody you don't have a reality with wow. to come to your, the single most important aspect of your reality, right? the most difficult <laughs> aspect of their reality. Right. Isn't that interesting? For them to get. It, yeah. It, it's insanity. And then you feel bad. Oh, I'm the bad guy. Yeah. yeah. Oh, which which shows you how <laughs> fucked up codependency is. Yeah. yeah. These lies we tell ourselves yeah. that I can get what I want without expressing what it is that I want. And being the bad guy and allowing yourself yeah. to be, quote, the bad guy. Yeah. And letting your other family members, hey, why don't you talk to mom? God, mom's been, I'm sure you get that every now mm. and then. I mean, she just wants to talk to you. What about Christmas? You're not going to come. Well, what if she dies? You know, you're going to feel really bad when she dies. I used to hear that zinger. Yep. And then she died and it was fantastic. <laughs> Man, did that relief just wash over me. And I know you're not supposed to say that, but I'm a lot happier now. Those are your feelings. And feelings are fucking valid. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So let's talk about no contact with your mom, if you don't mind. Mm -hmm. How did that, how did it go down? Let's walk us through a no contact situation for people listening. Uh, It started in, in 2012. I was getting ready to go back home to celebrate her birthday and to help her move into uh, a retirement center. Oh, jeez. And I had had a couple people on um, the podcast that were talking about inappropriate relationships with their mom. I was doing the work in my support groups. Um, I'm going to back up even further than that. Um, When I started refraining from always soothing myself with sex when I would um, be agitated or whatever. Uh, and that's not to say the sex is a, is a bad thing. It's it, it, when you're using that as your primary coping mechanism, it's not a, when it's not a good thing. When you say, when I, when you're disassociating and using that, is that accurate? Um, what do you mean disassociating that's and using thing. it? Like I've, I'm kind of con- like, I'm not sure I am. I'm sure I disassociate and I have in the past, but as far as like, is that, is that what it is? Like when you're just having random indiscriminate sex with people and like using, you know what I mean? Like, are you even there or are you like on another? Uh, I'm talking more about, uh, I'm feeling something I don't want to feel. I'm going to go look at six hours of porn. Oh, gotcha. So you don't have to feel those feelings. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I used yeah. that with eating. Yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. It, <laughs> and whatever the, the mode is that you're using to numb yourself, gotcha. it's about numbing numbing yourself so you don't feel well when you're numbing yourself you can't listen to your body Mm. because you're in this state where it's this this uh high intensity level of um uh stimuli Mm. you know when you're overeating or you're you know being promiscuous or you're getting hammered to the point of blacking out or whatever you to feel something, you need the cattle prod, mm. you know, to kind of shock you out of your sadness or whatever it is you don't want to feel. So the support group that I was going to, one of the things they said is 
to begin to heal, you need to stop numbing yourself. Mm. And so I began feeling all of the feelings I'd shoved down during Mm. childhood. And I began seeing my patterns of the things that I would reach for to soothe myself that weren't working for me anymore. And I also began to get back into my body and feel in my body what it felt like to be around my mom, to feel my skin crawl. Yeah, to feel I just myself, felt mine. Yeah, <laughs> to feel shut down, yeah, yeah, yeah. to feel exhausted when I yes. would leave her apartment. Yeah. And I began, that is the day that I said, what if I'm not a terrible son? Let me just explore what it's like if I'm not a terrible son mm. for not wanting to be around my mom. And I began to look at her patterns of behavior. And the first thing that I remember striking my awareness was every Christmas she would send me a box of things that were what she wanted for me. Things she had bought for somebody else that she didn't have a need for anymore. Things I had asked her, please don't give me self-help books. (laughs) Um, Here you go, though. You, you didn't yes. want these? Yeah. My mother used to give me uh, brooches. Would you like a brooch? Because <laughs> she loves brooches, right? Because right? she's a 70-year-old woman. Right. Right. Like a 15-year-old girl has no need for a brooch. But it's so nice. You put the brooch on your jacket. Because they're brooches. not listening. <laughs> they're not listening. You know what I mean? I know. And, I know. It's horrible. And so I, my uh, then-wife said to me, um, every Christmas that box arrives and you don't open it for months. <laughs> and I thought, why is it that I do that? <sighs> and being back in my body, not numbing myself, I thought, I feel sad when that box shows up right. because I feel like it's a big box of, I don't see you. I don't see the you, the authentic you, the you, I don't see your interests I see my interests, what I want for you. And, and then I began to notice that pattern. You know, when I would ask her, you know, please don't infantilize me when you talk to me. Mm. Um, please. What, what does that mean? So people know. Oh, what? honey, precious peaches, baby, you Ugh. know, it, that kind of stuff. And, and you're a grown man. And I'm a grown man. Yeah. And, you know, one of the ones I had to ask her to stop doing was when I pick up the phone, hello, Mr. Gilmartin, this is Mrs. Gilmartin, uh, you know, and, and whoo. it would always be like a, I would always feel wow like I was the one with the problem. Right. And there was a never a sense of, Wow. I wasn't aware I was doing that. What must that have felt like for my son for me to do that? Boy, I'm going to be vigilant to see that I don't do that again. That to me is what a loving friend or parent or whatever would do. And I began to see this pattern of that not happening. And then I began to see the pattern of the temperature being taken, the bath, Mm -hmm. all of that stuff. And it finally hit me. I'm an object Mm -hmm. to this person. And like a volcano, this sadness came up in me. And I'd always had this fantasy when I was a little boy of going up to an older girl on the playground and just having her hold me and cry. And I never knew what it was about. And in that moment, 
I had that feeling come up and I wanted, my first instinct was go look at porn and get rid of this feeling. And I thought, no, that's not going to help. And so I went to my wife and asked for a hug and I just broke down and, and I said, she used me, she tricked me. I was a good boy and I didn't deserve it. And I just cried like a baby. And my wife said, I've been waiting 20 years for you to say that. Because she could see in the first hour around my mom how inappropriate she was. And she had been saying for 20 plus years, you haven't dealt with the way your mom touches you, looks at you, talks to you. It has affected you more than you think it has. And in that moment, um, really began giving weight to what happened. But I wanted to fucking die. I felt like, you know, when you see an astronaut and it's tethered to the spaceship, mm-hmm. I felt like that had been snipped. What? I use yes. the exact analogy in therapy. Untethered. Yeah, you're, there's no base. There's no base. You're just out in the sp- I've used the exact analogy. That's bananas. Yes. Or just you, out in the ocean. You're, yeah. You're gone. Yeah, because yeah. where is, if I thought this person had yeah. loved me, yeah. Where is the truth in anything? Right. And I know that she was trying to love me in her own sick way. Again, I did not make her out to be evil during this. I felt rage more at just the fucking universe that this was the mom I was dealt. Yeah. And this, that my innocence was taken at such a a young age. And then I began to to go through all the emotions and, and I... I couldn't handle the pain, so I went to soothing myself with uh, porn, etc. And eventually, I, I started to get away from that, and and the the healing really started to ch- take charge. But that lava came up like five days before I was supposed to go back, and so I thought I cannot be in the same room with this person. Mm. So I left a message and said, when I knew she wasn't going to be home, because I didn't want to talk to her. And I said, uh, I'm going through some stuff right now, and um, I can't come, and I need uh, to uh, cut contact. I don't hate you. I'm not mad at you. I'm just exhausted by our relationship. And she uh, left me a message and said, I understand, which felt really good. Wow. Um, Yes. Um, I wish that lasted. Right. I was going to say, but did she really? I don't know. Something tells me that they just tell you what you want to hear in the beginning. Hmm. I think she really did want to understand. I really think that she wants to understand. Um, And then after about a year, I thought, maybe I can have contact through letters Mm -hmm. with her Mm -hmm. because... I won't be held as a captive audience. <laughs> Sorry. Every time yes. I left, just so you know, it's only, it's a yeah. recognition. Yes. It's, it's oh, not, I totally get you, it. You know that. I okay. totally okay. get that. I, you and I are kindred spirits. Yeah, dude. Yes. All right. Sorry. Yeah. We're speaking the same language. Yeah. Go ahead. Uh, if and, I just write the letters, maybe yes. the letters. <laughs> maybe the letters. And I wrote out what the, some of the boundaries were yep. uh, because yep. I did not want to get into why I had cut contact with her. Um, so I said, I don't want to talk about the past because I knew or at least had the feeling that that those realities wouldn't overlap. That she would, I mean, are you saying that she would invalidate your yes. experience? Yes. The yeah. temperature, the bath, the yeah. 
pinching. What are you talking about? I was just taking your temperature. What do you yes. mean? I don't remember that. You're lying. Yes. What? Do you, your child was great. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't. She has uh, on on uh, some occasions uh, even brought up and said, um, you know, I was just thinking about this such and such event, and I want to apologize. So you know, there there is this part of her that will occasionally take ownership of things, but it's never when I bring it up. It's usually when she brings it up. Like one of the things she said to me um, a couple of years ago, you know, before I cut contact was, you know, you you never knew this, but when you were about eight or nine years old, and when your dad used to carry you up to bed, which was like my, it was my favorite thing with my dad, seven or eight years old. And it was this routine. He carried me up the stairs and there was this part where the ceiling came low enough for me to touch it. And I would always touch the ceiling. And she said, I told him to stop doing that because I was afraid he was going to molest you. Okay. Um, You know, I appreciated Uh that that she said Uh uh, that she apologized for that. But Mm. getting back to my point in this letter, I said, I don't want to talk about the past because I just had the feeling there that she would not take ownership of it and it would just open that wound again. She um, uh, honored that boundary for one letter. And then the next letter threw a relative under the bus saying, I think this person might be the cause of your depression because one time they were babysitting you and I came home and you were crying. You know, their fist, their family has a history of uh, physical abuse. Well, that's nice that they chose that. She chose that family member to babysit you or both your parents rather let the abuser be alone with you super cool good so she's still blaming the other person when she should be protecting you yes yes so that was the moment when when i went um i can't do this and i didn't return uh the letter uh and i didn't have any contact with her for probably another couple of years and she would still send letters and I would have uh, my then wife uh, open them. Yes. And, you know, if there was anything logistically that I needed to know, you know, would you sh- sign this insurance thing or, you know, whatever. Um, let, me, let me press pause here for a moment. It, that was a really important thing Paul just said. If you guys are getting letters, emails, there was a point where my mom was writing me letters too, and I would hand them to my husband and yeah. have him read the emails or him read the text or whatever is coming in that you don't want. You don't need to be hurt by things people are saying yeah. to you. Or just throw them in the trash. Yeah. Don't even look at yeah. them. Yeah, you don't need to take their poison. So that took me a while to learn as well. Like yes. you don't need to read everything or hear every fucking voicemail. Yeah. That, that's an option. It is an option. <laughs> um, and, and a lot of times my wife would just say, it's just more of the crazy. Crazy, yeah. And I was really grateful for for her, um, for for being there for me to, to deal with that. And... I didn't want to to sever it forever, um, and I thought, well, at, at, I just took it day by day, and I thought, I don't want to have contact today. Mm-hmm. Tomorrow, I'll, I'll make the decision, and I don't remember what the final straw was. Um, maybe it was just firming up in my mind that our realities don't overlap, um, but I thought, I should really send a goodbye letter. And I tried in it to thank her for the things that I had gotten from her and to not say, this is all you, this is, it was just that um, it's not healthy for me to have a relationship with you and um, I don't hate you. Um, 
I'm not mad at you. Um, I hope you understand. And I sent her that letter. And um, it was one of the most freeing, painful things I ever did. And it probably took me about, I think I sent that letter maybe three years ago. And I will still occasionally feel a twinge of guilt or sadness or being a bad son. Um, But it gets quieter and quieter every day. And it's one of the most loving things that I've ever done for myself and one of the most difficult. It's weird because the Sometimes the most self-loving thing you can do for yourself is also the most difficult thing that you can do for yourself. What like for you? What's the most difficult? Oh, cutting contact with my mom was a big deal, and and I think because as I as we mentioned earlier, the societal norm is that your mom is everything, and you should love your you know honor thy mother and father, and you want you and I would tell people because at the time I didn't know what borderline was or really really understand what was going on, and you know people that knew us knew at a time when my mom was high, more functioning. Oh, but she's such a big personality. You're, you know your mom. She's just... That's <laughs> just her. Colorful. Yeah, she's just sassy like that. And you're like, I don't think anyone really grasps this. And I think the, the loneliness of coming to that decision and, and, you know, my husband supported me. My therapist supported That's me. That's so huge. Yeah, of course. Oh my gosh. But generally speaking, like you won't get a lot of supporters on cutting your mother out of your life. It's very taboo. Especially in really religious communities and fuck them. Yeah. You know, say, (laughs) we'll tell you what, you have contact with this person every day for three (laughs) years and then let's revisit it. Yeah. You think she's so great. You go Go on vacation, (laughs) go on vacation with them. Yeah. You go fucking hang out with her. You want to get to know somebody, go on vacation with them. Yeah, I had written something down and I wanted to. Um, right. And there's a lot of guilt for that was a lot of it was a lot of I'm a bad daughter, I'm a bad girl. Yeah. And then what happened You are. Yeah. You're oh, horrible. Yes. You're the worst person I've ever met. <laughs> and I've met every person in India yeah. and China. Yeah, and I'm the shittiest one, right? The so shittiest selfish. One. They're all aware of you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, they've heard of my horribleness. Oh, yeah. yeah. So at least you're famous. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Oh, that's the good part. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, th- that was hard, and it, but it's also loving. That is true. That is the hardest. Um, and then you get the guilt trip of, like I was saying earlier, of, well, she's going to die one day. And I always, um, you remember that stupid fucking movie, Pollyanna, from like the 60s with Haley Mills? Mm-mm. It was one of those daycare movies that they made us watch. And... Uh, I, it's about this cunty old lady. She's like the village. That was the working title. <laughs> which <laughs> this cunty old lady, yeah. yeah. She was just a mean, horrible, probably borderline narcissistic, whatever personality, horrible. And this girl, Pollyanna Haley Mills, would go over there. I don't know why she was visiting this lady, and the woman would be horrible to her. Get out! I hate you. But Pollyanna, being the codependent fuckface that she was. Uh, which w- tried to win her over. Well, what if I bring over uh, this crystals, these crystals that make rainbows? And eventually, to my horror in the movie, the old lady does change and she gets nice before she dies. And it's like, but that's the fantasy. That that's- is the most damaging yeah. myth that you can propagate. That's... Yeah. Honestly, it, it it's the thing that keeps people out of therapy. Yeah. It's the people... It, it And I believe... It's how we have gotten to where we are politically today is people are suppressing their familial 
rage yes. and letting it out by scapegoating. I agree. Yeah, and that's why people. that's why everyone's so triggered by Trump too. Is that that's everybody's narcissistic daddy, drunk yeah. daddy? Is that yeah. guy the the narcissist? Um, but right, and also that if you're just good enough, maybe this time if if Pollyanna comes back and she's nice enough to the old lady, that the old lady will transform by Pollyanna's kindness. And and that's the great myth is that if you change, maybe you can change them. Oh. And I remember watching that in school and being like, yeah, maybe if I'm just nicer to mommy, maybe if I try to cheer her up when she's sad. Or maybe if I'm perfect. If I'm perfect. Uh, <laughs> Why am I cutting? Yeah. <laughs> Why am I binging and purging? Right. Okay. I'm done binging and purging. Uh, what was I trying to be perfect about? Right. And then, and now becoming a parent, that's completely unlocked a lot of that stuff too because no one tells you this but the hardest part of becoming a parent is that it goes you go back into your vaults of all the stuff that you didn't get and how are you going to handle that are you Mm. gonna you gonna be a narcissist and take it out on the kid or are you gonna heal that part of you and then try to correct so that you don't pass down this madness to your children like like what are some of the moments that you've had Oh, gosh. I'm trying to think of specific details. I'm not taking his tantrums personally. He's two years old now. Oh, that's huge. Yeah. And so they spiral like over, you know, you can't have, uh, you can't play with raw eggs. <laughs> what? <laughs> I have, Mama has to take this because you can't, you just can't play with eggs. Sorry. Did he tell you I'm not your mom? Because that can help. The kid can sense that. Uh, what, what is it? I'm not your mom? Yeah. Yeah. When, when you, he sees you getting upset at his tantrum and, and yeah. he says, by the way, I'm not your mom. Right. And oh, then right. continues his tantrum. <laughs> that would be very helpful if yeah. he could do that for me. Uh, but yeah, not taking that as like, I'm a, I'm a bad mom every time my kid cries. Or I'm not worthy of respect. Oh, right. Yeah. I'm invisible. Uh, yeah. And then you realize like, this doesn't mean that I'm a horrible mother. Or if I, if I discipline him, am I being like my mom who was overly stringent, mm. too strict? So I do, I fluctuate between being irresponsible or too responsible, whatever, whatever, trying to find what feels good and realizing that I'm not a shitty person, I'm not a bad person, and like operating out of that. And then trying to just be present with his feelings, you know, all that shit we talk about. <laughs> All that feelings nonsense. <laughs> so, okay. So good for you. You're out of it with your mom and uh, it's been better. I, 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 since the last time I've seen you, you look 10 years younger. You're happy. You're vibrant. So you've obviously you. come out of your background and, uh, and are thriving and are helping other people. It feels thrive. really good when, when somebody else is in the place that I used to be and I can share something with them um, that either gives them insight or just comfort. Yeah. Cause I think you and I grew up in an era of like, uh, they're obviously not podcasting, no internet. Um, there was like this book called go ask Alice <laughs> that yeah. we would be like, Oh, the girl does LSD and puts the baby in the oven. Like <laughs> I remember just needing some kind of guidance in adolescence and you know, all you can do is read Bukowski or like (laughs) (laughs) listen to punk music. And those are clearly adult outlets. Like those are not responsible. (laughs) Like no wonder I was so fired up and like weird. Um, You know, like I wish there had been people like you telling stories that, and and it's always in the details. It's always in how stuff went down. Yeah. And it's one examples. of the, one of the reasons why I, I think podcasting is such an awesome medium is like I, I you and I couldn't have this conversation on radio. Of course. Are you kidding? We'd have to break every five minutes and it have to be faster and it's like mm. that incessant 
Ugh, okay, sorry, but yes, gross. Um, yeah, it it um, it's all in the in the details because when I when I hear my story and somebody else's story, it lifts something in me. Right. And if I don't share all the details, if I don't have the difficult conversation, even if it's not to a specific person, if I don't say out loud the difficult things, um, that person doesn't get to hear the thing that's most comforting to them. Yeah. One of the things I struggle with, though, is I overshare sometimes with people that aren't interested in hearing me talk about some of this stuff. And I don't realize it until afterwards because sometimes I'll start to almost get high from, <laughs> from talking about it. Right. And that is something that I'm working on is sensing other people's boundaries. Because having a streak of narcissism in myself, I oftentimes think everybody is as interested in this as I am. Oh, I'm riveted by you. I could hear you talk all day about Keep this. Talking. Call me up, Paul. Yeah. Listen to you. I love that. I'm just That's, fascinated that yeah. there are other people in the world that went through similar shit that I did. And that that's the thing of growing up when I did in an era of like non-information, non-communication is that it was so isolating because it's not like your peer group knows. It's not like other 14 year olds go, Oh yeah. You know, my mom right. is mentally ill too. Well, you don't know when you're that old, your peers are just doing what they're doing. They're not qualified to help you. And it's not like you and I were surrounded by enlightened adults who were, right. <laughs> Oh, I see what's happening. Let Come over. Let me help you. Anyways, let me just look at my book and make sure I'm not forgetting anything. And, and one more uh, yeah, yeah, please, thing, please. thing that um, it just, fuck, it's just right on the tip of my... About sharing brain. with other people like when you're a teenager and you turn yeah. to your peers and they're not qualified to help. Uh, oversharing. Oversharing. Oh, I, the, some of the oversharing uh, I can now recognize, and I'm recognizing this in therapy, is my way of saying... If they really get to know me, they're going to reject me. Mm, yeah. So I'm going to share the ugliest stuff right up yeah, front yeah, yeah, yeah. so I don't waste my time. Yeah. So they'll reject me right now if they're going to reject yeah. me. Well, most people don't work like that. <laughs> most people want to get to know you before they hear stuff that's heavy. Yeah. And, and it's just fucking inappropriate. Yeah, it depends. Yeah, yeah, the levels of, of heavy in the yeah. beginning. Yeah. Because I'm not listening. I'm objectifying them right. conversationally right. in that moment. <sighs> Whoa, dude. That's right. That, I learned that like a month ago. What? Yeah. Wait, how long have you been in therapy in this process? On and off since uh, late 80s, early 90s. Okay, guys, do you hear what he just said? Like, not to deter people, but just to let you know that it's an ongoing process. Because yeah. I think people, they get frustrated because like, I've been in therapy for a month. Why Why isn't my life perfect? And it's like, yeah, but there's layers to this onion. Yes. Yeah. and you're So many keep, layers. Yeah, and you're going to keep finding stuff and yeah. you're going to keep... Pro and sometimes you'll backslide and you'll yes. let somebody in that you shouldn't have, and you'll you'll do stuff, stupid stuff, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> until you figure but it out. Forgive yourself and, yeah. and try to say, okay, can I take anything from this? Can I learn anything from this? Yeah, why is this happening? Nobody ever got healthier by telling themselves they're stupid or a piece of shit. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh you just work? learned something. <laughs> wow. I guess so. Yeah. You're right. So one last thing I want to ask you, because I know you do, we have to, okay. Oh, listen, I love this. Okay. Uh, so now you're talking about feeling those feelings. 
and you now you feel feelings. Yeah. And are you scared of them still? How does that work? Them. Yeah. Some of them. I'm still afraid of the unknown. I'm still afraid of responsibility. Um, I'm uh, reaching out to you to offer myself to come on your podcast was scary for me because I feel um, uh, needy. I feel, um, um, I'm afraid of having needs. Right. I'm afraid of having needs. Um, I'm afraid of burdening people. I do that too. Yes. I'm afraid of people hanging up the phone and rolling their eyes at just me, just the very me. The, the, the truth of you. Yeah. That if you show them the truth, they're going to not, they're going to reject. They're not going to like you. Because deep down inside, the thought is, I am, I am bad. I am inherently bad. Yeah. But I can recognize those much better today than I used to be able to. Yeah. Uh, either through talking to support group friends, talking with somebody like you. I mean, you are such a fucking kindred spirit. Yeah. Um, Jeez. And you ask such good questions. Son of a Paul. It's because I've been listening to your show. <laughs> and honestly, I was so shocked that you wanted to come on. I was like, really? my puny little nothing stuff. Like you are, I'm fangirling out on you because oh, I'm such a huge fan of your show. So we need to get you back. Oh, uh, uh, I don't know. That. No, you, so you, uh, <laughs> <laughs> maybe one day. I feel like since I, since I did your episode, so much has changed since you were on, yeah. you were on like what, four years ago. <laughs> yeah. I honestly, and I, I, looking back, I think I was at the beginning of realizing my mother was a borderline. Mm-hmm. So it was at the beginning of the process of like what you were talking about of being that spaceman and mm-hmm. having that cut for me and being like, I don't know who the fuck I am, what I'm going to do. And then she died when I was pregnant and then. And then the shit hit the fan with the rest of the family. So there's a oh whole... Oh, my other- <laughs> God. We have, like, two episodes to do. <laughs> ah, it's a fucking nightmare. Yeah. Um, is there anything else you would like to say? I know, just know that whatever it is you're going through, you're not the only person who has experienced it or felt it. And the, the, uh, it, it's a matter of um, finding those people and connecting to them because it's all about human connection. That is where the, the the healing takes place. There's something there that's that's magical. Uh, I I know for a fact I would be dead mm. if I hadn't started to experience that. But I had to get to the place where I was thinking about suicide fifty times a day right. to put my ego aside and say I need help. Yeah, that's a dark place uh, to be in, and it, that's the hardest time to reach out is when you're <laughs> suicidal. Yes, <it's> a- <laughs> Not a good time. Yeah, uh, but ironically, when you should be. That's when you're most in your thing of like, I'm horrible. No one likes me. No one loves me. I'm alone. I'm alone. And it's never going to change. It's never. That's the big thing I learned too, is that shit changes all the time. And, and you know what? Sometimes you can't control things, but the good things happen all the time. Bad things happen all the time. And the more you heal, the more resilient you are. Um, I, in the last year I walked through, um, getting divorced, um, my favorite dog dying, uh, getting kicked out of my apartment, um, the podcast taking a, a bit of a nosedive in terms of uh, numbers. And uh, I just kind of took it in stride as much as I could. Sometimes I numbed out with ice cream or, or <laughs> pornography, but I, uh, I always got back on the horse because I realized this isn't solving it. This is yeah. just avoiding it. And... Um, 
and I'm in a place today where I feel good and uh, just good. You I'd are. feel good. Because like a phoenix rising from the ashes. <laughs> there you are, Paul Gilmartin. But doesn't it take sometimes the profound cracking open, the, the, the fucking disasters, like what you just listed? I mean, that's the country song, right? The divorce, the dog dying. Yeah. And the, the, everything. Everything happened to you. But Didn't look, lose my job, but yeah. my job uh, took, a, took a bit of a hit. But but you're here and you you seem yeah. happier. Ironically, I am. I am. Yeah. yeah. So what's it's, that? <laughs> I don't know. It's it's a little scary. I'm I'm almost expecting somebody to come out from behind a curtain and go, "You didn't really think that you were worthy <laughs> of happiness, did you?" But you are, and you're doing yeah, it. I feel like I am. I am. <gasps> Well, this is a good place to end. Guys, check out the Mental Illness Happy Hour. And thank you so much, Paul, for being here. Thank you. It's the best ever. Now what? I don't know. Philosophize with Philosophize with Christina P, aka Miss Jeans. This ain't your mom's house. It's a different theme. Gotta be critically thinking. Like you caught up at a cocktail party, our thoughts start to sink in. John Locke, or was it Socrates? Aristotle or Plato, maybe Hippocrates. Got us talking all properly, topically. Just a comedian discussing these philosophies. Serious questions, silly people. What's that? That's deep, bro. It is the ultimate metaphor for life, and you know what that is? What? That's deep, bro. That's deep, bro.